You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Platt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. And I ain't ever did this before, no. And I ain't ever did this before, no. Welcome to at the Bounce Show end of May special. Yep, so far into the winter now. But May went out with an absolute bang over the weekend. J. Cole, uh, Wet Dreams, it's our opening song today. Belter of a song. So yeah, the weekend was pretty good as always. There was the Monaco Grand Prix, there was the Champions League final, there was the Bank Cup final, there was lots and lots of Super Rugby, and uh, lots and lots of tennis. Yeah, it was it was all good, really. Uh, lots and lots lots of talking points. So today I have assembled for for you well three fantastic guests. Dan is here from Conquer Sports. We're going to talk ambidexterity, which um, if there is a big word for you, don't worry, it is for me too. As you can see, I semi butchered it towards the end. It is about doing things with both left and right. So right footed, left footers, right hand, right uh, left hand throwers, all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, the pros and cons, um, do we see enough of it in sport? What does it mean to have players who are ably bodied like that in both sides? Then we've got, uh, Jean from the left backs. You can talk all about the Springbok announcement. Massive squad announcement over the weekend. And it was a pretty good one, all things considered. So Joan's going to go more in depth with that. And then we've got Dennis Friedman, who's going to talk about the, uh, the tri-series, Proteas, Australia, and the West Indies. Now the IPL is finally finished. So we can look towards international cricket again, which is quite exciting. And it'll definitely be more exciting than Sri Lanka trying their damnedest not to get a complete and utter dicking in England at the moment. So let's get straight into it, okay? Now, as you know, I'm trying my hardest to become more of a Formula One fan. And it's not the hardest thing. I mean, it's quite entertaining. Last time around, that's, uh, Max Verstappen, he won. This time around, um, Daniel Ricciardo in the Red Bull was going to make it a, like a double header for Red Bull. Okay. He was doing so well in practices. He looked really good around the track. He looked like the quickest guy in the weekend. And then led the race. Well, he needed to make a pit stop. He knew this, but did his crew know this? Coming into the pits. Ricardo. Daniel Ricardo, the race leader, Lewis Hamilton, making his way into the swimming pool. Chicane. Now they haven't got the tyres ready. The tyres aren't ready. Ricardo is sat there waiting. Did he make the call? Did the team make the call? Whoever made the call, the tyres weren't ready. Super soft tyres going on. Hamilton now makes his way around Anthony Nose, the final corner. Ricardo put in a really decent lap, but is it going to be enough to come out of the pits and lead this Grand Prix? I rather get the feeling that it's going to be tight one. Here comes the Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton. Ricardo on the inside. Hamilton takes the lead. But Ricardo, of course, has that inside line into Sandoval. Hamilton now leads after a pit stop that saw Daniel Ricardo sat stranded waiting for his tyres. And Mercedes, after the second round of pit stops for Red Bull and the first change for Hamilton, lead this Monaco Grand Prix. Coming in. Isn't that just the saddest thing? And and the irony is, if you keep if you actually start googling uh, Red Bull pit stop, there's this great video of how they can do a 1.9 second pit stop. <laughs> Not to be at all there. So Lewis Hamilton won. It's his first time in six months he's been in the podium, and uh, many people were saying, "Yeah, good for him." Until they see that he's actually friends with Justin Bieber. This is the turning point. He's finally back. 
People kept asking the question, when will it happen? What's wrong with Lewis? And his good friend Justin Bieber is right there to congratulate him. He's good friend Justin Bieber. He has to say, Biebs, just wait there a moment. I've got to go and see Prince Albert and Charlene and get my trophy. There is no consoling the man on the left. He doesn't want... Yeah. Uh, well, you know, from the morning show here on, on Cliff Central, Michael Flax, the producer, says that he follows Lewis Hamilton on Snapchat and says he's the most boring guy in the world, absolutely no friends. But, hey, Justin Bieber's his friend. So people were mixed reviews, really, about Hamilton winning over the weekend. Many people thought Ricardo should have won it. And then uh, he even gives Bieber champagne. These guys are like, this just looks like a, like a forced, very contrived bromance, this. <laughs> oh, wow. I can, I can, now I can totally understand why people on Twitter were saying Lewis Hamilton's a dick. I don't trust this guy. He's not my favorite. But Rosberg, yeah, he, so he's tied in the lead now. Oh, he's... Justin Bieber gets to have some of the winner's champagne. Gosh, this is ridiculous. So he's really cut back that, that lead that Rosberg had. So, you know, if there's another time when what happened on the weekend happens, where Hamilton wins, Rosberg's on the points, well, it'll be a tied up at the top. So into real sports, though, real, real sports, where things have been very emotional, and that was the Champions League final. Now, Atletico Madrid, they lost to Real two years ago in a final, which they felt they really should have won. Um, but that guy, Ramos, he scored the goal late in the game to break the hearts, which even broke even further when they took an absolute thrashing in extra time. Now, Ramos again scored the, the game's opener, and then uh, even though Atletico came back into it, they missed a penalty through Griezmann, which was just so bad. They managed to get an equalizer after that, which showed great spirit, but you just you could just see as they got closer and closer to penalties, it was going to become too big for these guys. And it got to the stage where Juan Fran... Paul Juan Fran. It's such a great game. And then uh, he lost it. He basically kicked the ball into the upright, and then Ronaldo stepped up, and he kicks it into the goal, which is how you win in football if you're new to it. So that was that. Nebank Cup final. Supersport United, they beat Lander Pirates 3-2. They raced to a 3-1 lead at halftime, and just way too good for the Buccaneers, the Sea Robbers, call whatever nickname you want, which means that uh, Tinkler's men, pretty barren season now. Nothing to show really from that season, other than the fact that they maybe are working towards something in the future. But you know, sport is a very demanding kind of thing so who knows if that's going to be anything to bank on in future speaking of banking on things in future it finally got announced that jose Mourinho is finally 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 the man united manager to try to go in the direction we all want you seem to have had a good rapport with manchester united fans when you've yeah. come back with inter milan with real madrid <laughs> with, with chelsea with the charity game what's your message to united fans who will be watching this eagerly now you know um i think i i know what they can give me I think also they they know what I can give them. Obviously, the the most important thing are are, are the players and the relation the players establish with uh, with them. But I think is is very important and curious that I play so many times against Man United and I play so many times at Old Trafford with other clubs and um, was was empathy, uh, no problems, and in fact I was pushed. I was pushed by by that by that feeling to say sometimes things that my clubs were not happy with. Uh, I remember, for example, when I won at Old Trafford with Real Madrid, I told that the best team lost, 
<laughs> not many people was happy at Real Madrid. Yeah, so he's been quite controversial and he's had some moments at Old Trafford, but now he can do no wrong. He has arrived there with wings like an angel. He has swooped in and will he do something amazing for Man United? Well, mixed opinions there as well, but hey, it's so good for the Premier League. So good to have him back and it's so good to have him actually heading up another team, whether it be Manchester United, because a strong Manchester United is a good thing for the league. And uh, I don't think anyone could ever really dispute that. Just quickly looking at the Super Rugby, Super Rugby results from the weekend. We've got a big rugby section happening in a little bit with Sean, Sean from the left backs. But just to get into these Lions, these bloody, bloody impressive Lions, 56 points to 20. Now, Dan has joined us in the studio. And, Dan, you're a big Lions fan, so this is obviously a really big thing for you. Massive Lions fan, yeah. How's it going? What a, they've never won a Super Rugby at Loftus. Not only did they win, but they absolutely hammered. Smashed them. And they, as the Lions have done the whole season, they just scored great tries. They took the opportunities. They're a really good, they're a really good team. People felt that with, uh, Janchi's out, they might be a little bit stunted, but, ugh, these guys are so good. Friday's results, Hurricanes 27-20 of the Highlanders. That's a really big result for the Hurricanes. You're looking to go for a nice late finish. This was the last, uh, round, of course, before we go into the international break. Waratahs hammered the Chiefs. Didn't quite see this happening. Not completely implausible for a win, but the margin of victory here, 45-25 over the Chiefs. The Kings versus the Jaguars. Now, this was a game I hope you didn't watch. I hope you weren't stuck into this. The Jaguars, okay, these guys need to actually, I don't know, there needs to be an intervention. I don't know what the problem is. Maybe it's something I'm actually going to write about in future. Like, why are these guys battling so much in this tournament? They've had now, I think it's eight yellow cards two red cards so they're two red cards over the weekend and they're always acting hard done by and it's like oh i don't speak english or this and that but the guys have been biting late tackling shoulder charging into rucks the rules are rules no matter what language you speak you can't be an absolute thug on the rugby field anyway the kings they were so useless against 13 men pretty much the whole game it took them right to the end to actually win this one and that was when they were down to 12 men kings eventually won that 29 22 it was a horrible advertisement for the tournament and i really hope we don't ever see games like that again saturday's matches blues they did pretty well against the crusaders but crusaders winning out there in the end 26 21 Brumby's massive thrashing over the Sunwolves, as to be expected, 66 points to 5. And the Stormers versus the Cheetahs. I was at that ground, and it was boring as all hell. And screw you, Newlands. What's this about you can't drink in the stands? I'm an adult. I pay tax. I should, this is a right that I should have in this good old country of ours. You, we just sit in this horrible room with no TV. It was like being in a prison. And then you got to drink like lukewarm beer. It was horrible. Anyway, so was the match. Storm was 31, Cheetahs 24. And then Sunday's match, we've already mentioned the Lions Bills. Sunday's match was Rebels 27, Force 22. Uh, nothing really to report back on the tennis. The, most of the seeds are going through. Kenny Shikori lost. Uh, Rafael Dundell pulled out with a sore wrist. Otherwise, the rain's kind of been more of the headline puller at the moment. So let's get into the feature with Dan from Conquer Sports. It's about ambidexterity. And I'm most excited about this. And I shall intro it with... Don't buffer. Come on. Time is key in radio. He has indeed. Wilkinson right back in the pocket. And Dawson suddenly gets away. The match done finally well to Brigham. Wilkinson is now perfectly in range. That has to be a penalty. He came up the side. Again, Wilkinson in the place. Johnny Wilkinson. He's done. Uh, when he said he's done it, what did he do? He kicked from the other foot. 
Nice intro they had, Dan. Very good. Was that the World Cup? That was the World Cup 2003. Johnny Ambidextrous Wilkinson (laughs) sculpted a sculptor scape sculpt with his right foot as a natural left footer. And it will always be one of the great examples of how the duality there really got him through. Although, I mean, they were going to get a penalty there anyway. So it was just still, still, let's romanticize it. Let's romanticize it. If he didn't have a right boot, England would not have won the World Cup. (laughs) Let's, let's, Let's keep it at that. Fact. So the skill set of ambidexterity and just the concept of it, is it something that we see quite a lot of nowadays or maybe not enough? You know what? In elite sports, it's actually something we, we do see a lot and it's it's really over-represented in sports. Um, 10% of the world's population are left-handed. 1% of that 10% are ambidextrous. And yet in sports, I mean, off the top of your head, you can name so many lefties. A third of Major League Baseball pitchers are left-handed. 25% of the top run scorers in this year's RPL are left-handed. Um, left-handed, uh, left, left-footed, um, rugby players, left-footed footballers. There's just, there's just an over-representation of, of left-handed and left-footed athletes compared to the rest of the world. It's really, I've never thought of it that way, but I mean, especially the more prominent guys for sure. And so, so the two, the two theories behind this one. The one is that, Left-handed and left-footed athletes, especially in ball sports, I mean, things like ra- sports like running and swimming, where angles don't really make a difference. There, there's no, there's no disparity. But in sports like basketball, football, cricket, where it's all about the angles that you can kind of throw down, a lefty offers something different. So it's, I mean, yeah. I, um, I played, I played cricket at a pretty average level, but I, I knew I hated facing left-handed bowlers because it just sure, wasn't something. Because it wasn't something I'm used to. So that's one theory. But another theory that I find quite interesting is that left, right-handed people, our hemispheres uh, in our brain, our left and right hemispheres, our, our left hemisphere is a lot larger than our right hemisphere. And the left hemisphere is the more pragmatic and practical side of the brain, whereas right is creativity. So now because the left hemisphere is much larger, we we tend to not be as creative as left-handed people whose hemispheres are a lot more similar in size a lot a lot more similar in size and the theory is that left-handed people are a lot more creative than right-handed people there's a a study that was done in the american journal of psychology where they found that there's a high proportion of left-handed people in fields like writing music the arts and sports and one theory is because that leads to a lot more creativity so a guy like Ronaldo sure is creative but don't you kind of get the sense that Messi is just a lot a bit more of a magician as opposed to like a natural athlete and you look at batsmen like Gilchrist and Lara yeah it's actually so true yeah before you go into cricket players that's actually so true Ronaldo's brilliant there's a doubt about that but Messi can make something happen right like he can really make something happen and and I and I think of, of the great left-handed batsmen they just they, there was just something about them that just made it look a, a lot more poetic I mean Lara is obviously the a prime example Tendulkar was obviously a great batsman but he was almost like perfect and yeah. very technically wrecked and same, same with Cullis um, so, I mean Cullis and Tendulkar they were the big run machines ponting as well right but when you think back of Lara he was just just flair right exactly, exactly. How, how he would play spin where others would really battle right so so that theory of, of, of creativity I find quite interesting and and that you know never mind the angles and, and, and the different ways in which you can kind of bamboozle someone with, with where a punch or a kick or a throw is coming from but just that, that sense of creativity I think is, is quite interesting and maybe that accounts for the high disparity well yeah, high I mean, proportion look, I say. Look, I mean, you can really get quite critical with these things or you can get quite cynical in saying that sometimes the lefties being the rarity mm. come across and create something quite different I know 
if you just look at the Proteas right now, right, and getting back to your cricket analogy, when is the last time that we've had a lefty we can go to every single time? Smith. Oh, sorry, Ebola. Ebola. Well, yeah, great question. I, I, I really can't think of, of and many. On the, and on the back of that, Wayne Parnell got a lot of game time he probably shouldn't have got. Yeah, well, it's, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Wayne Parnell fan, so, so you could, I, I, I kind of, you got Hammond on the weekend. He bowled four of us for 35 in the uh, first no, game. Really? Yeah. Oh, damn. Well, you know, he's still young and so he comes, but, but it's a great point. Why don't, why don't we have as many left-handers? And I don't think it's, it's, you know, I don't think we can look at, at Cricket South Africa and say that we, we're not, we're not encouraging that. I mean, I think it might just be that there aren't any left-handed bowlers, but there is something about being left-handed or left-footer that really does offer something unique. Well, I think it's something that's, you know, maybe you'd know more about this than I would, but is this something that teams are actively kind of looking to scout and that you always look, okay, we need an opening bowler or we need a spinner or we need a this and that. But surely, like, it's so specialized at that top level. Mm. You should think, no, no, okay, we need a guy who can bowl, like, say, for instance, the Shamsi guy, okay, he's a mm. left-arm wrist spinner now we've got. Mm. That, should be a, that should be a criteria for kind of player that we have to base an attack around, just like a left-arm quick. I remember the days, I mean, if Brett Schultz wasn't such a drunken womanizer, <laughs> and I'm sure he won't feel bad about me saying that, yeah. he would have been one of the greatest left armers. Okay, he was quite injury prone. Sure. That guy was like shit your pants scary. Quick, swung the ball both ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, all things being equal, I, I, I think I think it's pretty obvious that if, if you had a left-hander and a right-hander and all things were equal, pace, swing, ability to hit, hit a length, you would want the left-hander just because of the simple fact that it is a rarity. But how far are we are getting away from tennis, sorry, uh, cricket, where you can get a guy who's actually going to physically bowl left-handed and right-handed? Well, and is it possible with the the level they need to do both at? Well, there was a Sri Lankan bowler under 19 World Cup called his name is Kamindu Mendes, and you can go you can go Google his name and check it out. There's a video of him bowling left-handed and right-handed in the same over, based on if he was bowling to a left-handed or right-handed batsman, and his action was identical. So he's a wrist spinner. So how with his right, he, how did he not get an IPL contract? On the back of that. Well, he's, he's, he's young and he, while he was, he was as effective with both hands, he wasn't exactly in, like bagging Amazing. wickets, yeah. but that it shows that the skill can be developed. And so with his right hand, he was turning it away from the right, from the left hander. And with his left hand, he was doing the same action, but turning it away from the, from the right hander. So you, you know what I'm saying, right? It was always yeah. going away from the batsman. And, and that ability to, to change the angle and dictate exactly what kind of angle you want to throw down is, I mean, it's it's a it's a it's freaky almost watching this guy uh, watching this guy bowl. It really is, but now you look at it more like a physical sport. Um, last week, I was I was looking at this this long drive golfer, right, Jamie Sadlowski. So he's he's slight. I mean, he's like he's of my height. Okay, he works out more than I do, so he's he's got a bit of muscle in. But you compare him to other long drive guys, he's like comparing fly uh, scrum offs to flankers, you know. Okay. But yet, 2008, 2009, he was the world long drive champion. He's still up there all the time. Now he's trying to uh, qualify for the US Open, so he's getting a lot of, quite a lot of press at the moment. Mm. And he said, because in the winter, he is a left arm ice hockey player in that he takes the snapshots with the left hand. Okay. But then in, in summer in golf, he plays, swings right-handed. Is that something that golfers should also be looking at? Maybe there's like another way of strengthening both sides for the complete swing? Sure, sure. And... You know, I, I I can't speak about golf as much as you can, but but I, but I think the same applies to cricket, right? So, Graham Smith was a right-handed bowler, but he batted left-handed. That meant that his stronger hand was at the top. So, yeah. it always kind of makes sense that you that you would want your stronger hand. But no matter what your top or or your bottom hand is, I think forgetting about your weaker side, your weaker foot, your weaker hand is 
you, you know, you to only train one side of the body is it's only trained fifty percent. And and why would any athlete want to do that? I mean, you, you look at a guy like Ronaldo; he doesn't just possess a, a a very strong left left foot, which is his weaker foot, because he's ambidextrous. He works like damn hard at it. And, you know, that, that's something that I think all athletes, whether you whether you're a cricketer, a rugby player, soccer player, that you should really be working on, and you should be working on it at a young age. That um, pre pre puberty is the uh, is the time. So if you're a young sportsman listening to this and you d- aren't that strong on your on your weaker side, you must get on that and really train it. It does. It makes perfect sense. I mean, if you just think when you're a, a scrum off or a fly who is off one boot, mm. defenders pick it up and they'll charge you down at a certain angle. Right. And you know there was very few people. Up until now, very few people, very few flowers that can do both boots. But it makes a massive difference in the pressure zone because you could dummy to your strong foot and then kick on your weak. Well, Wilkinson won the World Cup with it, didn't he? That- Wilkinson was the, the best example of how you took it even further. Because it's one thing to kick the ball out of hand. It's another thing completely kicking it from, um, from, from a drop kick or yeah. a place kick situation. Yeah. Like, look at David Beckham. He was an amazing right foot. But that was it. He was an amazing right foot, which made an open play. He was quite limited. All those amazing crosses that he could send in. People knew how to market. Sure, Antonio Valencia for for Man United. He's quick. He, his right foot is really good. He's got power. He's, he's got a great first touch. But he's such a limited player, and quite honestly, pretty average because he just doesn't have a left foot. You know, Ryan Giggs made a career with only one foot, but not many people are Ryan Giggs. If I I'm I maintain that I'm a United fan, so I watch I watch a lot of Valencia, and I believe that if he had a left foot, he would be one of the best. Maybe not one of the best, but certainly a lot more marketable as as a player. Wide, you could play on either side or in the middle. But because he's only got one foot, he's he is so limited, and it's just I can't understand how how a player gets to that level without being confident to at least put in a cross with his left foot. Yeah, it's like you just it's a skill set you just have to have now. Um, tennis now, there's. Have you heard of these guys? Um, we mentioned it actually last week. I've forgotten the names now. But are they, they the, are they the Bryans? The Bryan brothers, yeah. yeah. Now they, they're a doubles duo, quite formidable, in that they both play right-handed and left-handed. Like if there ever was a sport where you must focus on that, maybe doubles, because it's so like it's quick reaction stuff. You can play right. on both hands, and also so I think I psych out your opponents with as well. Well, because then you, I guess the opponent wouldn't know where to hit. So it's the same as if, um, as if there was a if, if a batsman. I, I chatted to John T. Rhodes about this, um, you know, because I wanted to kind of I wanted to kind of get his his thoughts on fielding left-handed, but he made he raised an interesting point. You think back to the Indian series where South Africa got trounced. If Hashim Amla could have just turned around a battered left hand and just padded up to the spinner outside leg stump, he could have maybe negated that, that threat and, and, and hung around longer. So as you say with the Bryan brothers who are able to play left and right hand, it's not necessarily that they open up their, the court more, but it's that the opponent doesn't really know where to hit because if there's no weak side or no backhand and everything's a strong forehand, you know, well, where do you play? Especially when you're receiving serve. If you've got a guy who's booming a right-hand topspinner that's got a big kick on it, right? right. You kind of know where it's going. If he serves to the exact same court with a left arm big kicking topspinner, suddenly it's like, well, hang on a second. This is going to essentially go both ways. Right. I can't quite. And there it's all about footwork very quickly. And unlike, unlike cricket where you have to let the batsman or bowler know if you're going to change up tennis, you could probably just switch it up without, without the, the opposition yeah, expecting yeah. it. Hoy, go for it. So, okay, so that's the big lesson today. If you are a kid and you're growing up and you want to get into sport and be the extra level, don't have a weaker side. You must really, really look out for it. If you get football, to have both feet amazing. And whatever your base might be, there's always going to be a stronger foot sure. There's always going to be that better thing. Mm-hmm. Same with rugby. If you want to be a talented kicker, you don't necessarily have to go for goal with both feet. 
but the ability to have a snap drop kick like Johnny Wilkinson and the ability to punt the ball out of pressure in a pressure situation from both feet, especially scrum offs and fly offs. You know, people talked about uh, Francois Hochrat had the inability to kick a good box kick. I think, I mean, that's like 10%. You actually need to kick box feet from both feet. Mm. It really has to happen open play. And anyone can train it. You can You can train your... As I said last week, I play pretty rubbish football once a week, but I can train my my left foot just by brushing my teeth with my left hand because there's a thing called uh, bilateral integration and it's about crossing your midline. So just by doing simple things like using a phone with your left hand, brushing your teeth with your left hand, eating soup with a spoon with your left hand, all these things can condition your brain to... Engage your weaker side more by crossing your hemispheres. That's interesting. And yeah, so hopefully we'll we'll see on Thursday if if I'll if I bang one in the top corner with my left. That's that's very impressive. Like I would say, I I I could be an absolute. I don't know. Maybe it's the formative years if you try this. But when I was ten, uh, I broke my my wrist. I fell out of a tree. Okay, I'm sure that I as you do. Yeah, I mean, I'd like for it to be a better story, but I, I broke my right wrist. It was in cricket season. And it was also during exams. So I started bowling with my left arm and I started writing with my left arm. Mm. Only problem was it crossed my hemisphere to the point that I developed this horrible stutter. Wow. Okay. Which I still to a certain degree have today. Uh, I try to get into radio to overcome Perfect my for radio, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's me. I'm a stuttering Stanley. Uh, so sometimes still to this day, like I, I can't start sentences very well because I am so ambidextrous. And you, you kind of raised something interesting because I, I spoke to an OT, occupational therapist, about the this crossing of the midline. And if it happens in a way that isn't kind of tempered, because you still need to have a dominant side in your hemisphere, if you do cross it, you can it can lead to stuttering, it can lead to dyslexia. And a thing I found quite interesting in ambidextrous people and and left-handed people, there's a high proportion of ADHD and schizophrenia because of the cross wiring of the hemispheres. Ah. So. If it's a, if you think of a sliding scale with extreme creativity on the positive, all the way on this side is schizophrenia because what schizophrenia is is seeing and hearing things that aren't there. I mean, and that could be a sentence that you could describe Lionel Messi. He sees things that aren't there. So you do, you do want to have that that midline integration and, and bilateral integration rather, but you do want to temper it with a with a an understanding that you need a dominant side. So with you. With you injuring your right hand and doing everything with your left hand, I didn't, I didn't have a choice. I had a dominant side rather than. Both. I, I, I don't want. I, I don't know if I feel confident enough to speak with authority on this, but there is a possibility that you makes sense to me. You kind of got your wires mixed up a little bit. Completely, it makes sense to me. And then, I, therefore, I was a late developer, which was, explains a lot right right now. Actually, I was very shy around <laughs> girls for a very long time. Yeah, so look, see, I'm learning so much around it. All right, Dan, well, uh, we need to get on to talking Springbok squad announcement, cool. which is a big deal. But what else can we look forward to from uh, the site and from you this coming week? This week, uh, published today, is an article about a guy named Grant Lottering, who three years ago had a horrific uh, bike accident in the Alps and lay on the side of the mountain with 12 broken ribs, choking on his own blood, and he was close to death's door. And later this year in August, he is going to do what no other human has done before. He's going to ride a thousand kilometers on a bicycle over 48 hours. Wow. All in the name of charity. He's a lawyer, sports ambassador, and he's raising funds for underprivileged kids. So go check the article out at 
Can I, can I punt it? Yeah, go at, for it. At conquersports.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at conquersports, C-O-N-Q-A, or at me at Daniel Gallen. Um, yeah, check out the article, um, and, and support this guy. He is, uh, an absolute legend. That is amazing. All right, Dan, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I look forward to reading that as I do for every week. If you Cheers. guys, if you aren't, if you aren't reading the Conquer Sports stuff right now and what Dan's painting on a weekly basis, I mean, these aren't just half-assed blog posts. These are like a lot of research goes in here, a lot of insights. So get onto that. Conquersport.com and that's C-O-N-Q-A sport with a T. Cool, Dan. Thanks very much. Catch back next week. Duncan, how are we looking with our next guest there? Siobhan, are you ready to rumble? Duncan is wearing glasses today. He's looking very, very official. He's really on the money as he sits in the booth with Jane, who is the the host of Cliff Central. She runs everything around here, basically. And uh, she is watching my show today, which makes me very happy. Jane, I know you're a massive fan of The Bounce Show. And uh, it, it it does warm my heart. So, yeah, so the weekend was, uh, as you could see, as announcing his squad which was well not a huge not a huge amount of surprises or anything like that um basically overseas guys that weren't coming back were happy so there was no more Stain. there was no uh zane kushner there was no Rion pinar who apparently made himself unavailable which was either strategic or fortuitous one of those two and uh no victor matfield or donny Kerber or uh uh, anyone really like that so it was it was a good squad announcement i felt so now to kind of get us in a bit more in depth on that we're going to get joined from the left backs and uh, it's also it's a blog that i read on a weekly basis and um yeah so pretty much the if i can just press that button there eyes on the ears and that uh Sean, you with us hey yeah i'm here ben fantastic okay so the squad got announced and it kind of went like this uh, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to announce the Springbok squad for the Castle Lager incoming series against Ireland. And in alphabetical order, <sighs> the team... There's not a chance we ever get through that. So, John, that's why you're here, because I can't for a, a second listen to Regan Hoskins. So tell us about the squad. Any surprises? Are you generally quite happy with it? Um, I think, like I said from the start, the... Alistair Katia's first Springbok squad is going to be an interesting one, and I think it, it it is quite interesting. I think there's a couple of of interesting selections, but I think generally it's more or less what was expected. Um, I think that, for me, guys that are really lucky to have been selected would have been people like Bongi Mbanambi, Nick Groom, Jesse Creel, and Garth April. And I think folks who are incredibly unlucky is a guy like Franco Mostert from the Lions, Charles Murray from the Cheetahs, Jumbo Lengo from the Bulls and also uh, Francois Fence from the Chiefs too. So I think overall a, a pretty good squad, but yeah, a couple of, of, of quite interesting selections, if I could put it that way. Yeah, well, the thing is, people are going to first you think like, okay, obviously it's going to be quite a lot of Stormers players there. Um, yeah. You know, what always happens is with these squad announcements that we always think of like provincialism and we think of form. But no one really gave a lot of talk about pre-thing, like, you know, the whole transformation thing, number of black players are going to come into it. That obviously was a factor. Let's not, I mean, let's get that out of the way in the beginning. Because politically, Asta had to fulfill some criteria. Do you think he's kind of ticked the right boxes with that, seeing as it is something we have to worry about? Uh, yeah, I mean, that is, is kind of a, a tricky question, but, but yes, I do think so. I think that there's, there's nobody in the team that is, that I really scratch my head and be like, wow, that's a totally left field pick. 
I think that, that generally he, he's done a good job of, of selecting guys that I think do deserve their spots in the team. Like I said, there's a couple of folks who, who, who maybe don't deserve their spots as much as others, but I think generally speaking, we can be quite happy with the team he's selected, in my opinion. Okay, so um, just going on to the Stormers, like I, I went to the game on Saturday, it was dreadful. It, it really, it was, just, it was boring. It was, uh, I mean, I think the biggest highlight there was the fact that Etzebeth and, and Diago had a bit of a scuffle, and uh, it was such a boring match. It was so boring that I noticed that Mavericks actually advertised in those planes with the big banner <laughs> on the back. I thought, the advertising, yeah. I thought the advertising went away like ten years ago. Mavericks are still rocking it. But just no, like, they do it every day. That is crazy. And the girls outside with the pamphlets too. It's very aggressive. Mm. So just looking at, at, at the Stormers, now Nick Groom, anyone but, but Louis Scredo, I think is the first thing you look at there. I think Nick Groom is one, <laughs> of, the, is one of those players that will be in extended box squads. I can't see him being a future buck. So there's one. Uh, but Ambi, well, you know, he was decent last year, but I think ultimately he's always going to be understudied to Scar into Benny. I think is a more of a long-term prospect. But then, uh, yeah. Sikambuza Notche, I mean, there's a guy who I think is, is such an amazing prospect. So much so that Opama Hojo's now, um, gonna be in the A side. And I don't <clears> see, you know, as, as loose four talent goes that's emerging, I don't see, uh, Notche being eclipsed by him. So that, so that for me, on like your, on your Stormers basis is quite interesting. Stephen Kitson. Sure. Just, yeah, just, just a quick comment quickly on Groom. Um, I think what, what I dislike about Groom is I agree with you. Like he had a good season last year and I think that, you know, he, he's quite, uh, like dynamic around the field. He's got a pretty good boots on him, but, but I, I, I find that he's, he's sometimes susceptible to like tactical brain explosions. Like on Saturday, we, we were having a scrum and it was a tightly contested scrum. I think we were within 10 meters of our try line and he's trying to milk a penalty from the scrum. I'm like, that is really silly. And I think reasons like that, he wouldn't go near Springwell for me. Yeah, but I also think that's just Stormer's tactics right now. I mean, these guys don't really back themselves. It was just horrible to watch. Um, for sure. I, I, sorry, man. And then just the comments on the Notche comments, I totally agree. Yeah. I think he's a really, really good prospect. He's just quick and he's, he's strong. Jeez, Zadok has picked up size since he started playing rugby it's actually unbelievable and I think that he's definitely one to watch long term yeah he's definitely PSB'd out quite well in the last sort of <laughs> yeah, exactly. 18 months and now just um, obviously not a storm anymore but an ex-stormer were you surprised at all with Stephen Kitsoff coming back into the squad not really actually I wrote a blog post about it last week about our predictions for the Springbok 23 in terms of the squad and um, I picked him and I think the reason I picked him is because I think that you know, we touched on it earlier, the provincialism. I think in Alistair Gutierrez's mind, that's a guy that will still be very much in his thoughts. And that's really good for South African rugby because, I mean, Kitsov last year in the Super 15 was our best player. He probably would have had more game time at the World Cup if he wasn't injured. And I really think that it's a good idea to cap him so that we don't lose him. Although I have heard that since he's played for the junior box, he's officially got a springbok cap. So it's it makes it more complicated for him to play for France one day. But either way, that's a thought I totally want to avoid and I want it to be a Springbok, so I'm really hoping that he gets a shot. Yeah, I'm I'm totally for our front row uh, forwards to go overseas, play on these harder conditions, these heavier fields. Because in th- those French guys, they're rough in that front row. Huh? I mean, if they, weren't playing, if they weren't playing rugby, they'd probably be packing tuna in a in a market somewhere. These guys are hard. Sure. They're hard men. So when our props <laughs> go there and they get a little bit of edge to them, I think it's a wonderful thing. So I'm all for kids of coming back. And suddenly we've got a pretty good front row. We've got some pretty mm-hmm. good talent in there. Redling Hayes comes back in, which is I think is also a good move. 
We've got Strauss, uh, and obviously when you look at his name, you think he's obviously a, a, a target for the captaincy. Just on the captaincy now, it's pretty clear it's not going to be an overseas player. But Dwayne Vermeulen is now in the camp, so that's official. There's nothing around there. Francois Lowe also in the camp, but you think that he's going to be um, foreign-based forever and ever now, so basically until the end. So does that narrow it down for you as who the captain's going to be? Is it kind of going to be Dwayne, Whiteley, Malherber, or Strauss in your mind? Yeah, for sure. I think this whole Springbok captaincy thing is incredibly interesting. It's kind of like an episode of Stephen Delon unfolding. I, I, I don't, I don't really know if it's, if it's 100% guaranteed that an overseas captain is not going to get, get the, the armband, in my opinion, because, I mean, Alistair said on, on the, the announcement, he mentioned something about, you know, overseas players and how they should be based locally. And then the next day I saw a Sport 24 um, article that says that Based on that comment, Alistair ruled it out. So I don't know if it's off the table, to be honest with you. Also, particularly since it's a short-term captain. Yeah. I mean, he made that clear. But that said, let's take Dwayne and Flo out of the picture. I think that um, it's probably going to be Adrian Strauss. I think it's, it's the easiest selection. I think Alistair's going to be under pressure to win. He's going to want to win. He's going to want a good leader. I mean, we all know the impact of a really good leader. I think a hooker always makes a good captain. So I think it's going to be Adrian Strauss and, and Lambie will be vice-captain if he's on the field, though. That's the thing. I mean, yeah, well, that's, you know, Janchis might be healthy. Well, that is the thing. Going to the, going to the backs, you've got uh, Janchis, who believe could be actually available for this first test. He just broke a little finger, so it's not a big deal. But uh, I think that the backs are looking quite good. And you've got to think that Creel was was picked in the fact that he was essentially an incumbent and he played so much last year. Same with Allen. Yeah. Maybe not the best of form. He's come back from injury. hasn't been the player he might have had, might have been uh, the, the the cheetahs guy. Uh, his name escapes me. The um, Francois Fenter. Yeah, Francois Fenter. Yeah, so he'll definitely. I totally agree with you. I think on the back of the fact that the incumbents haven't been the form players, he must feel quite hard done by. But it's good to see Ron Combrink in there and uh, JP Peterson. Obviously, people are saying, you know, is he maybe one of the guys that is past it? Maybe he should have been left out as well. But when you look yeah. at when you look at all all of these new guys being brought in, Alistair kind of had to pick JP, didn't he? Yeah, that, that's very, very true. I, I think, you know, often what we forget is when it comes to Springbok rugby, and I know people like my dad always has long arguments with me about this, but, but experience is really, really important. I think particularly if you've got guys that are incredibly inexperienced around you. I mean, we lost a hell of a lot of our experience post the Rugby World Cup, which is a really good thing, but it also obviously puts us at a bit of risk in that we need guys who have been in a tough situations before and can really... Yeah, the ship. And I mean, a guy like Lionel Mapu will definitely start, in my opinion. He's been phenomenal Has to. in yeah. this, in the Super Rugby competition. And I think he really deserves his spot. But I mean, then it'll be really helpful to have a guy like JP next to him because I think he's going to be nervous. I mean, he's a human after all. So it's going to be kind of, yeah, he's going to be nervous. And I think that it's, it's good to have somebody who's really experienced next to him. But yeah, overall, I think the backs are, are we, we made some really good selections. I think that there's a couple of exciting talents talented young guys in there. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what the first Springbok backline looks like. I think, you know, just on the fly-half topic, I posted or we posted as left-backs a, a poll yesterday about Janchis is fit. Who should be the starting number 10? Should it be Janchis or should it be Lambie? And it did incredibly well. And I think it's something that's really weighing on people's minds. And I don't really know the, the answer, to be honest with you. I think, I think Janchis like, you know, you and I have spoken about him before. I have question marks about his defense. I also have question marks about whether he's going to be able to do what he does 
behind a pack that is not the Lions pack and, and a game plan that's not the Lions game plan. So that's going to be really interesting for me to see. Again, going back to the experience topic, I don't know, like, you know, the Irish side are a little weakened, so maybe this is a good opportunity to pick junkies, but but maybe it's not. In a backline with Fife also having zero caps, junkies have got like three or four caps, he's got like a handful of them. It's tough. I think I'm kind of having an argument with myself, but mm. you know what I'm saying, and I, and I think that that might be why Lambie might get the nod at the end of the day. Well, just go on to the scrum off thing. The fact that Fafta Cloak is there and you've got to look at him as the form scrum off. If he's going to be picked, obviously it strengthens, uh, John Jesus' cause for that, that jersey. But we, absolutely. But yeah, we, exactly. We, yeah. We, we, we just look at, look at the caps there. It really is quite worrying. Um, there's no banner either because seven's duty, same with Jean de Jong. So they haven't been considered for this, this squad for the series. Yeah, it, it's you almost don't want it to be a factor that's going to decide selection, though. You know, it's it's almost like you want to go, okay, right, we've got a new exciting team, we've got this really great opportunity against maybe not a full strength island. You kind of want to be conservative, but at the same time, you want to just keep throwing caution to the wind. It's it really is quite a conundrum. It is a conundrum. It's almost like you know somebody having no experience and then wanting to apply for a job, and it's like, yeah, oh, you need experience. You look like well, how am I supposed to get experience? So it's probably a good idea to just cap them and, you know, get them in the system and get them moving forward. But, yeah, to your point, I totally agree. That's exactly the benefit of picking fast, because fast, in my opinion, will almost definitely start. Then you pick Janchis, very, very familiar with each other. And I think that that will help a lot. So And bring Abby off the bench. Yeah, I think that's probably what could work too. And any, I mean, like I've I've heard it suggested, so I might as well give it a go. But any any thoughts around Lambie then maybe going to first centre? Um, that's quite an interesting one. Actually, I haven't really thought about that. I mean, they did train him. Well, he did move there for the Sharks, which I, I'd like to believe probably has nothing to do with the Springboks. Because I mean, I don't think that you know they're not centrally contracted, so that that's probably not a factor. But if you think about it. You know, Jan Sassenthal has been good, so I think that he'll probably start. But, I mean, Damien hasn't been fantastic, so maybe there is a little bit of truth to that. But, you know, Lambie is one of those guys, a bit like Brent Russell back in the day. He's got a bit of a raw deal. You know, I, I don't think it really helps anybody to move them around as much as a guy like Lambie has been. You know, he's played fullback. He's played, I don't know if he's played in the census. He's played fly-off. But yeah. like, what is his best position? His best position, in my opinion, is fly-off, and I think that, that really is where he should specialize. Yeah, so, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think there's no way – I don't think he's got the speed or just the the general elusiveness to be a, a fullback, a fullback that we need in this team. So it should be fly-off or nothing, in my opinion. I totally agree with you. But, yeah, just going into the centers, because if you look at David Allende, he's obviously – he's had the injury concerns, hasn't got back to full form, even though fitness mm-hmm. was probably there. But it does beg the question because Sir Fontana was also seen as like he's the future at number 12. D'Alender does mm-hmm. bring a whole different element in that he does offload. You know, many people outside of Pretoria in particular will say that uh, you, never, <laughs> you never want to be a wing in the team that Johan Sir Fontaine's on because he doesn't know how to pass. So sure. it's so interesting to see the kind of dynamic there. I think the centers is where Alice has almost got the biggest headache in that there's no doubt about it. He's going to want to bring Jean de Jong in here somewhere. What he does... Uh, Mapu is number 13 though. You know, form-wise, the way he scores his tries, the way he's done, like what he's done the last two years, you have to pick him at, at 13. So certainly, yeah. I think you've got that one set in stone with maybe Jesse Creel as either going to be a fullback or a 13 backup, but then you've got some real big questions around 12. You've got Dallander, you've got Serpentine, and where would your own come into it when he does come back? 
that that's that for me is going to be fascinating in this team. For sure, it's going to be really interesting, and and I think you know there's also a guy like Andre Pollard who's like waiting in the wings. Yep. Okay, he's not playing for the for the rest of the season, but he's a really world class world class player, and I mean, um, Alistair Kutia is always going to pick him, so maybe not necessarily to start, but he will bring it coming to the team. So I think what we're saying is is that this team has a bit of a, a kind of a patchwork feel to it. You know, Jean Diong, I totally agree with you. He will play Springbok rugby again now. I have no doubt about it. And it's just really a case of where and whether he's in the squad or he's on the bench or he's on the field. I'm not really sure about that. But in the centers, you know, Damien, Damien is also not the world's greatest, greatest distributor. Like I think that he, no. he well, I was watching the game on Saturday and, and he, he he's passing more, but he tends to, you know, put his head down and try to run Oaks over, which is good because he's a, he's a big boy and that's really one of his strengths. But an inside setter has to be a good distributor. So, you know, in Safantain and Damien, we have two centers that aren't particularly big fans of passing and we've got Mapu next to them who is really deadly with the ball in hand. So you really have to get the ball to him. So I, I think it's, in, in Damien and Jan, we kind of have a bit of the same problem, although Jan, I've always really rated him as a good player. I think that he has added a lot to his game lately, and I would pick him to start at 12, but I would make it pretty clear that he needs to pass the ball more. Yeah, well, that's fair. Just before we, we finish off here, interesting the selection around Garth April. Now, mm. uh, my man, that man Don on Twitter, he made a very good point. It's like Alistair Kutsia is picking a guy that he drove away to the Sharks because Garth April, not so long ago, he was playing club rugby in Cape Town, mm. and uh, now he went to the Sharks. Lambie was injured. April's come through out of nowhere and he looked bloody good for all the game time he got. He's in the box squad and I'm, I'm all behind this. I think he's a good player. I think there's a lot of, a lot of talent here. Again, it's, it's the kind of love that we need and that the guy can distribute. He can kick well. There's some real flair mm. there. Obviously, he's not going to play. Uh, I, I highly doubt he's going to play in this Irish test, but he's definitely a guy for the future. But do you think there's any truth in that Elstick Garcia just didn't have any place for him at the Stormers or, or he's just not his kind of player? an interesting question you know I, I think often what happens is and I think Alistair Kutsia particularly when he was Stormers coach I think he was very specific about what his game plan was and I think he was he was kind of stubbornly sticking to what he felt would work and I think he probably felt like a player like Garth Apple probably wouldn't fit in that system so yeah and, and you know what I always say also about these Springbok coaches is at the end of the day they're human you know so maybe he feels a bit like wow we let that guy get away and now it's an opportunity Taken because, I mean, Garth April has been fantastic when he's played, but you know he's really had a handful of opportunities, and mm-hmm. it, it is kind of a, a bit of a, a hail mary pick, which is great, and I, and and I think that he deserves his spot in the squad because, like we said, I don't really think he's going to play, but that is also maybe a bit of Alistair Kutsia showing his hand in terms of what kind of values or what kind of strategy he's going to employ, yeah, and, and I think that's a really good thing. You know, we, we want guys in there who are who deserve their spots and are young and hungry, and I think that that's 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 really a good thing. Cool. Well, John, we have to cut it off there, but thank you so much for your insights. Anything new on the blog we should be looking out for this week? Um, so we just posted our thoughts on the Springbok Thirty One, so you guys can go check that out at leftbacks.coza and at leftbacks on on Twitter. And Bruce is also going to be uploading a post about the Otter Trail. He was in up uh, the Gardnery doing a mega hike for a couple of days, and he's going to be giving us some insight into what that was like. So that's going to be really interesting. And that's also coming later on this week. Okay. Well, Bruce is completely insane, but I'll be looking, I'll be sure to look after that. Cool, John. Thanks so much <laughs> for your time, bud. We'll chat to you soon. Cool. About the Thanks, Ben. Cool. Cool.
cool. Thanks a lot, dude. See you later. Yeah, so Alistair Goodseer showing, showing his hand, as John was saying. It's a very good point, that. The fact that April has got a, a selection here, just showing that he, he is going to pick guys who are exciting. He is going to pick guys in form. Going into players of form, we're going to have a little quick discussion around the cricket. But first, we're talking about, uh, let's get Jen, Jennifer Lopez and Andrew Flintoff taken into our cricket section today with Dennis Friedman. It's like, it's, it's, Isn't that the one with the things on the floor and he's going with the balls? No, that's croquet. Oh. We don't have an international croquet star. Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We could have. Uh, uh, pencils. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, cricket. It's like it's you know because in uh, Jenny the Block you're playing now. What's that? Is that uh, baseball? That was stick ball. Stick ball. Which is that's a bit like cricket, isn't it? It's mm. hard to. It's, it's, it's hard not like to explain. Baseball. It's probably the closest sport in America is baseball, but cricket, it lasts five days. We break every now and then for food, and we spend a lot of time rubbing our balls on our trousers. Um, He's not even joking. I don't think there is a, there is a better description of, of test cricket than that, which J-Lo was gifted to by Andy Flintoff. <laughs> Sorry, Freddie Flintoff, Andy Flintoff, yeah. So, Dennis, we haven't got a lot of time, unfortunately, this week round, but we're very excited about this tri-series happening, aren't we? Uh, who who is? We are, of course. Everyone is involved oh, yeah. in this. <laughs> South Africans, West Indians, Australians. We love a good tri series. We haven't had a good one since. Uh, I th- was it? Did we beat you in Zimbabwe? A no, years piss back? off. We beat you. Fifty-fifty scored three <laughs> centuries. You guys lost to Zimbabwe in the preliminary rounds. I lost a lot of money on that because I had a theory which went wrong, and then we dicked yeah. you in the final. Yeah, but Mitch Johnson hit a ball through the commentary window, so all, all's good. And he actually he, he put glass shards onto Pommy. <laughs> he did. <laughs> that was the highlight that of that. That was a brilliant intro, Ben. I, have, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard that before. I, I need to steal that. What, uh, Andy Flintoff? Oh, I don't know who was. Was it Andy Flintoff yeah, talking? Yeah, it was Flintoff it? talking to J-Lo. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Good. It's been a while since I've spoken to J-Lo. <laughs> Speaking of tri-series, my favorite tri-series ever was South Africa versus Australia and Australia A, back when it was World Series. Do you remember that? They were the, they were the good days. I've got to tell you a story. <laughs> I, I stumbled across a, a cricket ground in the middle of country Victoria the other day, and I drove in through this gate, and there's an old, um, uh, like a pavilion, and I, and I went up to the door and it's locked. And this guy, old guy pulls up in a little tractor and he says, oh, what are you doing on my land? And I said, oh, sorry, mate. I didn't realize it was a private uh, cricket ground. Anyhow, it turned out that it was um, – a uh, guy's name was Phil Rogers who is um, – um, oh, oh, Jesus. What's his Rogers' first name? <laughs> the, the redhead guy that opens for Australia. Um, um. Chris Rogers. <laughs> I've had a mental play. Chris Rogers. Yeah, Chris Rogers. Sorry, so it's Chris, 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 Chris Rogers' uh, father, and he owned this private cricket ground. Anyhow, he lets me into the pavilion, shows me all these um, memorabilia he's got in there, and right above the door is a, is a baggy green Australia A cap. So <laughs> I've actually seen one and touched it <laughs> only two weeks ago. But the amazing thing was back in those, in those glory days, it was Australia, Australia A in the final. <laughs> yeah, well, well, the thing about this, if you look it up, if you think about who was playing for Australia, A, it was Matthew Hayden. It was you know guys of this caliber. It was, uh, it, it was it, Elliot, the other times. opening batsman. Yeah, he made 199 in the Ashes and uh, busted yeah. his knee running into Mark War, I think. And um, yeah, he could bat. 
See now, unfortunately, this was the, this was before YouTube. There were so many great moments in cricket before YouTube that we can't just bring up. You know, we can we can get Sheffield Shield or whatever it is from last year and get everything yeah. we want. We can get Ashes crap where Anderson took a couple couple of wickets, but we can't get the real good stuff. The SA <laughs> Australia A versus Australia final of the World Series. Anyway, we must get into this yes. current series right now. I had a brilliant chat with your mate David Oram, which uh, I'm going to put up part of the, the blog post for the show we chatted about everything about the series so i don't want to get too yeah. much into talking about the west indies or talking about sa i think um well my audience in particular they've had enough of that australia <laughs> now yep. they obviously are the best one day team in the entire world i mean even if most of the guys are playing pissed i reckon they'll beat many in any day well when it comes to falconry he'll play even better now, you just had the IPL where you guys have an absolute masterstroke. I mean, this just shows how head and shoulders you are above the rest of the world. You go into the IPL, you got all the signatures, yeah. you got all the retweets, you got all the money, and then you decided, well, hang on a second. We've got internationals coming up. Let's all get injured now. Let's go home, see the family, and we can still get to the Caribbean in time. Absolute masterclass. Our guys. Even better than, even better than that. There was uh, eight IPL teams, seven of, them, seven of them captained by an Indian, and it's the Australian that holds the cup. And I think Shane Watson was the best player in the tournament, maybe. You know, it's it's not a strong tournament when Shane Watson's the best player. There's no way he could have been the best player. Coley scored 17,000 <laughs> runs, an average of infinity. But Shane Watson tore it up. Batting, bowling, he, singing. He, he no, one, no one's saying better than Shane Watson this tournament. <laughs> Well, if he beat AB, I'll be most surprised. So, <laughs> so, so going into this tournament, your you guys have got a, you've got yeah. a good squad. It's all pretty fresh. Mitchell Stark is back and firing. Is it pretty much yes. done and dusted? You got, you got West Indies, which in a longer form of the game, got no chance. Um, and then the SA side, well, they, you know, they're going to bottle it at some stage. Do you reckon it's as clean cut as that? No, I, I don't. Uh, it should be, but. The West Indies are riding a high at the moment. I know it was only the T20 sort of World Cup, but uh, they're playing at home. They'll they'll be confident and they'll they'll feel like they can take these guys on. Um, Mitch Stark hasn't bowled for a year, you know, six months or so. Um, th- uh, there's some interesting things going on with the Australian squad. You know, Nathan Lyons back, so oh, he, he didn't get a gig at the world. Didn't get a gig at the World Cup for the ODI World Cup, but now apparently he's good enough to playing a tri-series, which is probably a level higher. Um, <laughs> but then we stuff it up by picking Matthew Wade as our keeper. Look, the guy can't catch. So uh, <laughs> I, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be a lot tighter than what you think. I th- actually, if you're going to pick three teams for an ODI tri-series that was going to be interesting and it's played in West Indies, you'd probably pick a South, um, South Africa and Australia as the other two. Maybe India is the only other one that would make it interesting if you went, went four-way. But... Uh, um, I reckon it's going to be there's going to be some tighter matches than what you think. And you're right though, South Africa will bottle it at some stage, but it won't mean anything. Do tri series mean anything? Uh, no. Which makes South Africa <laughs> overwhelming favourites then, seeing as that the other tri series we spoke about they won that one too. <laughs> but good stuff happened in that. It was good. It was played in Harare, mate. When was the last time we played uh, cricket in, Z- in Zimbabwe? Well, outside of Bangladesh, nobody really. And like an yeah, Indian, well, an Indian invitational team, or all players who haven't become IPL millionaires, they got sent there. 
That's yeah. right. Remember, uh, I think Donny and all those guys rested because they were tired. Well, I think the, was the call at the time. It was. It, it was uh, strategic financial resting, and that there wasn't enough TV money coming in from the series, <laughs> so Donny and Coley wouldn't play. But just getting into <laughs> into the conditions that we can look forward to in the West Indies, it's going to obviously yep. help the spinners. So Ashton Agar being oh. left out, I mean, that's got to hurt. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple of spinners. So obviously we talked about Nathan Lyon. He averages yeah. 23 in ODIs in the West Indies. So he's got some form there. Um, Adam Zamper is our new young leg spinning legend. You would have seen him in the IPL. Yeah, he's I good. didn't see him in the IPL. Well, no, I watched I, none of the IPL. Same with me. I heard so. <laughs> I heard that he bowled well, but you mustn't call him Warney. That's all I, all I took out of this whole thing. He gets a bit angry about that. No, but he had a, he had a good big bash as well. And um, I expect him to go well. And then you've, you know, Stephen Smith might roll the arm over. Dave Warner's got a mean leg spinner. So yeah. there's a few spinning options there. Okay, very good. And then just Seema wise, Stark's going to come back. And Steve Smith's already said that people are scared of him. He said the South Africans are scared of him. And that's just, that's just your usual bull, bullshit Australian banter. Who else, who else are we really looking at as far as the Seamers to really like cement the, the, the place in the team now? Yeah, you know, there really isn't. I wouldn't say it's a strong seeming lineup. It's it's one of those teams that we've packed with all rounders. So, Mitch Stark's obviously the spearhead. Um, then you've got Mitchell Marsh, you know, 140 kilometre all rounder. You've got uh, Josh Hazelwood who can obviously bowl, but I wouldn't say you're scared of him. He's not an intimidator. Um, John Hastings, the Duke, um, you know, 130 kilometre all rounder. James Faulkner, the finisher, 130 kilometre all rounder with really bad teeth. Um, your favourite, Nathan Coulter Nile. Oh, he's he has, uh, he's gold. That guy, he has to be in. <laughs> he's got he got good pace. He has yeah, he's looking at both. He's he's not bad. Okay, so all the while, and then obviously you got Maxwell Watson's in the mix, isn't he? Uh, Watson's no, Watson's retired. Uh, but uh, yeah, Maxwell Maxwell's not in the oh yeah, Maxwell's in the squad. Looking at it now, I forgot about him. Yeah, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> As a spin bowler. Okay. He's, he's rated as a once in five innings um, slogger. The other four innings, if you, yeah, he'll make less than ten. And he, he's a pretty crap spin bowler. But for some reason, he's one of these. Um, he's like a circus act. Yeah. And we we all like circus acts. There's a few of those floating around world cricket at the moment. All right, Dennis. Unfortunately, we have run out of time uh, because I've got to talk about things like rugby and uh, other stuff. You know, it's it's tough being an all rounder like I am. But we're going to definitely talk more as the series becomes more interesting, and uh, it'll be great to get your insights. Anything else we should get to just before we go with the minus three seconds we have left? No, no. Just uh, if you're interested at all, uh, Dennis does cricket dot com, and I did want to ask you about the uh, titleless ballada that you posted on Facebook, but we'll save that for next week. Okay, we sure can. So follow Dennis on Twitter Den- at Dennis Cricket underscore. He is prolific. He knows what he's talking about, and he's Australian. On top of that, catch you back next week. We have run out of time. Sorry, uh, we really have just had action packed show today. The bounce Follow me at Follow the Bounce on Twitter, and uh, all the good stuff will come through those channels. Catch you back next week. This is CliffCentral.com.